I'm going to call this meeting of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss to order. I just, this is Jeff Tom, the president of AAVL. I want to remind everybody before we get the codes and everything that uh, in the second session, uh, later this afternoon, there's going to be time that I am really looking forward to because you will have time to give input on the directions that you think this organization needs to head. And that's really the most important thing because AAVL needs to be driven by what its members want. So in a couple of hours, it's going to be your turn. So before I turn it to Katie uh, Frederick to give us the opening code, I want to introduce uh, a, a board member of AAVL and more importantly for this purpose, the chair of the Rehabilitation Task Force to say a couple words, Doug Powell. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm on the board of AAVL, and uh, Jeff asked me to be the policy chair for AAVL, so I've had my feet in both camps for this whole year, and uh, am excited that we could co-sponsor on uh, this, you know, in this session about uh, filling the gaps of uh, seniors with vision loss. So uh, happy to be here, and uh, looking forward to hearing Lee and Lori speak about the issues. All right. Thanks, Doug. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, an amazing woman in many, many ways, but her current job is facilitating this call uh, or this, this meeting, and she does it very well. So Katie, Frederick, can you give us the opening code for this meeting, the CEU codes? Absolutely. So good afternoon, everyone. For those of you who have registered to receive CEU credits for the ACB conference, the opening code, I have that for you. And that's for those of you that registered. That is the letter D as in dog, the number three, the letter C as in Charlie, the letter E as in echo, and the letter C as in Charlie. So again, that opening CEU code for those to whom it applies is the letter D as in dog, the number three, C as in Charlie, E as in echo, and C as in Charlie. Okay, so I just want uh, everyone to know that there will be different codes for both of our speakers in this first session. So this, um, and with that, I'm going to introduce our first speaker. I first met uh, Lee Nasahi uh, when we were both on the AFB Programs Committee. Lee, for many years, was the president and CEO of uh, the Lighthouse of Central Florida. Um, under her leadership, that entity was a very innovative um, agency for the blind of the Orlando area and did a, a lot of amazing things. Now Lee is the um, CEO of the VisionServe Alliance, something that not only uh, of which ACB is a member, but also AVL. And I've been on a number of phone calls um, that uh, Lee has chaired over the last number of months on um, services for seniors. Uh, Lee is also a um, member of the ACB advisory board, and you know she has uh, a, a number of areas in which she excels. 
But today she is going to talk to us about filling the unmet need for services to seniors with vision loss. So with that, I want to turn it over to Lee. Thank you, Jeff. I uh, want to thank all of you for giving me the opportunity to join you today and talk about a subject about which I'm also very passionate. I'll just say it, get it out front, that it's uh, unconscionable to me that by far, in a way, the largest segment of uh, population that makes up our mission is the least serviced and underfunded and and the most misunderstood. So um, I'm looking forward to working with all of you over the next few years to change that in significant ways. So first, I, I just briefly will share a little bit about Vision Serve Alliance to make sure you know what that organization is. We are we're a nonprofit, international, actually, association. At this point, we only have one international member from Canada, but we'd like to change that over the next few years as well. So we're a, an association of about 120 organizational members plus individual members, all dedicated to providing a wide variety of services and products to people who are blind, have low vision, or other visual impairment. Our mission is to strengthen the leadership, equity, diversity, accessibility, and sustainability of our field in order to magnify our collective impact to people who are blind, have low vision, and other visual impairment. So we're a leadership collective. Vision Serve Alliance is not Lee Nasahi and her two staff. And yes, that's correct. I only have two staff. And of course, we have Paul Schrader as uh, our legislative consultant, too. So we're a little bit bigger than that. But Vision Serve Alliance is not strong because of, of that staff. What makes us who we are and, and gives us the potential to do great things is our collective, our members. And it's our collective expertise, passion, and commitment to making our field more impactful. Um, so one of the things that Vision Serve Alliance is involved in, it's a, a primary concern of ours, is uh, aging and vision loss. And shortly after I stepped into this position, was, which was just March 1st, 2019, I was approached by a number of advocates who had long been involved in aging and vision loss, primarily through AFB's agenda for the 21st century on aging and vision loss. And as their focus shifted a little bit, Vision Serve Alliance was asked if we would step up and, and make this a priority and, and uh, you know, drive this moving forward with the hundreds of volunteers that were already across the country very involved and dedicated to this. So we said yes, and we created the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition. That coalition has more than 35 organizational members, and we, we do have hundreds of individual volunteers and organizational, including, as Jeff mentioned, Jeff Tom. And we're working right now through several committees and task forces to affect transformative change that results in older adults with visual impairment being uh, able to, to live healthy, productive, uh, safe lives. So I thought what I'd do is share um, the essence of our work right now and invite your input because 
as it as it happens, the coalition is in the process of articulating its theory of change. So I'm sure some of you know what that is, and then there may be others who are like, well, what is that? So theory of change is just a fancy way of saying, what is it that you want to accomplish and how are you going to do that? And is it logical? Does it make sense? Frequently when groups like ours get together, we're all full of passion. We care so much about the mission and we all come at it from different experiences and perspectives. And we kind of think that we can read each other's minds and that we're on the same page and that everybody out in the general public will just understand what we're doing. But that isn't actually true. We are frequently not on the same page and especially uh, people who are not involved directly with our work may have some questions and difficulty understanding what, what we're doing. So we are taking the time to articulate what we believe and how we're going to move forward with this. And uh, we, we will be sharing this as it's in um, a more official draft form, but I, I thought you get a preview and can kind of tell me what, what you all think since you are involved in the same work that we are. So first of all, I'll share with you what our assumptions are for our work. So we believe that older adults living with blindness or impaired sight are valuable and deserve to be treated with respect and compassion are capable of self-determination and are entitled to full and accurate information from professionals and vendors in order to determine how and where they want to live. We believe they are indispensable partners in creating a livable world for themselves and peers, that they are significant contributors to their employers, families, and communities, and that they are desperately in need of easily accessible, high-quality, comprehensive, specialized vision rehabilitation services based upon their individual needs and objectives. Another set of assumptions are around what we think needs to happen in the community for it, for this to, uh, for us to have the change that we want to see. So we believe that effective policies, practices, and systems that affect older adults living with blindness or impaired sight require, first of all, innovation, unconstrained by existing models, awareness throughout society about an understanding of aging and vision loss, collaboration amongst experts and advocates and consumers, universal design, cultural competency, and finally, equitable funding for and national access to high quality specialized vision rehab services. So that's the foundation of our work. That's, that's where we all start. And our vision is that losing vision later in life is an overlooked yet mounting public health crisis exacerbated by COVID-19. Age-related acquired vision loss profoundly impacts affected older adults, families, communities, and the national economy. We believe that the multiple impacts of this crisis could be significantly mitigated by raising general awareness about aging and vision loss and assuring access to high quality specialized vision services that support older adults and their families. And we think that the magnitude of this crisis requires a paradigm shift. So that's kind of the background. And then how are we doing this? This is where we are focusing our work in several areas. First of all, in awareness. 
so that there are several groups that we are targeting in better understanding aging and vision loss. But we want to start with older adults because many seniors do not understand that losing sight is not a natural part of aging. So they don't seek medical care or rehabilitation. And of course, they don't, for the most part, even know that rehabilitation exists. We also are focusing on the medical and allied health professionals who work with this population. And then the aging network. So AAAs, um, senior community programs, those many services that are already working with people with older adults, but they don't understand vision loss, let alone vision rehabilitation services. So awareness is, is one of our key foci. Another one is data. We want to assure that moving forward, there will be a process to collect reliable incidence and prevalence data on age-related acquired vision loss. As you know, it's a hodgepodge. There is some work being done through CDC and the um, something called the Vision Eye Health Surveillance System, but it's still um, it's still an estimate. It's not it's not extremely accurate. So we want to change that as well. Service models is the third area that we're focused on. So this is a big one. Um, assuring that there are culturally competent, community-based, comprehensive, high-quality services available to all older adults who are interested in that, and that they have access to the assistive technology and devices that they need through those processes. The fourth area is funding. So we, we all know the challenges there. We're trying not to become paralyzed by the lack of progress over the last several decades and uh, we'll be fighting for a change in OIB funding. We want vision to be mentioned specifically in the Older Americans Act and other significant pieces of federal legislation, as well as in programming documents through uh, the AAAs across the country and, uh, you know, it, so many natural places for this to be that it's just left out. Part of that funding also needs to address the lack of qualified personnel. And um, the big one that I know you all are working on too is that services are eligible under the new CBO, um, opportunities with Medicaid and Medicare and other insurance. And then the fifth area is accessible universal design. And the last is empowerment, which um, we believe strongly that, that seniors with vision loss be at the table helping design programs and policy and um, in our direction and our work on in the coalition. So that kind of summarizes our work right now. We have lots of little efforts around it. We hope to get more focused and bring in more people to work on that with us. But I'd like to be quiet right now and see what what you think about this and suggestions or questions you might have for me. So I'm going to sort of throw out the first question and it isn't one I usually ask, but I was recently involved in and still am involved in California in um, putting together a, an aging master plan that our governor has requested. And one of the things that I observed in um, my efforts 
in dealing with various entities and individuals involved in the aging infrastructure in my state was, and I shouldn't have been surprised at this, but I was, the incredible lack of education, of information about people with vision loss, their needs and their abilities. What are some of the ways in which you think we can do better in terms of educating the, the not only uh, older individuals themselves, but uh, more importantly, policymakers and other interest groups? Yeah, you're right, Jeff. I mean, it is it is pretty shocking to me too, especially in in the aging network where they're working with older adults, and and you just know that a significant number of their consumers are living with vision loss, but somehow they've not recognized that. So I th- I think we're we believe it's going to need to come from grassroots efforts. Um, and also from the national level. So the coalition is doing two things. We're putting together a toolkit that we can disseminate to our members and VisionServe Alliance and, and beyond for them to start to create a, a local plan on how they can collaborate and partner with aging services and change them educate them through experience. There's so many little things, and many of them used evidence-based programming in their senior services right now. At the local level, we can help them make sure that those curricula and those programs are appropriate and accessible, have the right accommodations, so the people they're serving who have vision loss can participate fully. So that's just a little example. On the national level, we're working to create relationships with N4A, as an example, which is the national office that oversees, coordinates all the area agency on aging across the country. So we want to influence and educate them, and they are going to help us sort of infiltrate some curriculum and policy, attend their conferences where we can uh, present and so you know go from both ends national and and the local level um, I, I don't think we can wait to do it one at a time and that those are just two examples but there are other national offices that are focused on aging services including ACL that we are working to develop relationships with in an effort to uh, further education and understanding Great answer. I think it really um, bespeaks the notion that all of us, all the members out there, need to do what they can on the local level to educate those with whom they come in contact about the uh, needs for services for the uh, person for persons who are aging and have vision loss. So with that, let's. Uh, see if we have any questions we do Uh, okay are you ready all right so the first the first one is kathy lyons i'd like to make you aware of two situations first of all i was instrumental in having a woman in a nursing home move into assisted living now when she's totally blind and when she first was in the nursing home she had fallen out of bed and broke her hip So then she needed rehab there, but not four years later. 
after her hip is all mended. And so she didn't need to be in a nursing home. And so I was contacted to see what I could do. And I put them in touch with the um, elder law people and the people at the local uh, blind association and the commission. And we were successful. It took a while, but we were successful. We started in February and got her moved in June to an assisted living. Now, they gave her the allowed $548 for seniors over 55 who are not vocational, which went in a hurry. Now, I was told by the commission in Albany, Brian Daniels, that because she moved from a nursing home to assisted living, they could give her more services. They didn't seem to know that. This woman can't even use a telephone. And so I think it's pathetic that she's not getting the services. And I want to help her the best I can. But if she can't even call the local association and say, I want to do some more of this or that or the other thing, it's it's a kind of a, a difficult situation. And it just from February to June, there were a lot of complications in trying to get her moved. Her family wanted her to be safe. We didn't. Of course we wanted her to be safe. So there was a communication gap between her and her family. Her family, most of her family is deaf, hearing impaired. Mm. So there's no way you can call them up. You have to talk to her. And she can't make phone calls because she can't use the phone because she was never taught how to do it non-visually. She has a phone in her room, but you have to first dial nine to get an outside line and then dial the number. And because she's elderly and uh, whatever, she doesn't have the capability of having like a record of phone numbers of people to look up and then make the call. So she doesn't have the resources. And then secondly, she can't make the calls independently. So I think that kind of a situation is pathetic. And that's the kind of thing I think it sounds like this organization is trying to work on. Um, the other situation I wanted to make you aware of is my own situation. I wanted to learn how to use the Internet. Oh, we can't do that. What? Why can't you do that? I need to learn how to use the Internet. Oh, well, you're not a vocational client. Well, would you want to go back to work at 75 years old? Um, so it's kind of like, what? What did you say? So they can't do any computer work at all. I think that's got to change. They also don't do any help with the the um, smartphones. In this day and age, I think every blind person should have a smartphone and be able to use it. And if they don't know how to use it, they should be given somebody that can teach them how to use it. And the dollar limit, of course, 548 doesn't do much. So I think we need to raise the awareness of what the needs are. We definitely need to raise the income amount and we need to allow them to work with electronic sources, uh, not only smartphones, but Zoom and um, Amazon Echo and all of the electronic devices that are out there right now. They should be able to use them just the same as anyone else.
Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. This is Doug. I'm the chair of the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force. And um, Kathy, uh, you're so um, our focus this year was putting together a document that talks about all the shortcomings of rehabilitation in one place. You know, we attack one thing and we attack another thing over there. And, you know, we talk about the homemaker closure. And, you know, so we've tried all sorts of discrete places to to try to make inroads. But never have we sort of set down a document and said, this is, you know, these are quite a few of the problems that confront uh, rehabilitation right now. And I use the term rehabilitation to mean not non, not vocational rehabilitation, but all rehabilitation. Because I think uh, one of the things that we talk about in the document is that there's a baseline of basic skills that people need to be functioning members of our society. And I think we owe uh, I think we owe them uh, that level of rehabilitation, whether they're going for a vocational outcome or not. And that includes uh, older individuals who are blind. So we're, we're sort of lumping them together in, in some cases because some of those uh, issues are, are common. And so there needs to be a baseline for that participatory, independent, living, non-vocational client, regardless of age. So we're starting to talk about that, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that clarifies for me that that we're right on target, and we hope to we hope eventually after we've fine tuned our document and got it past all of the uh, you know the board of directors and that kind of thing that we'll uh, pass it on also to the Vision Serve Alliance, and hopefully they'll um, you know we'll be able to uh, coordinate with them and and work on some common goals there. This is Lori. If I could just add, Doug, to that, you know, this goes back to the lack of coverage by insurance providers of blindness-specific rehabilitation programs compared to other disabilities. As Kathy um, so ineptly, uh, you know, correctly pointed out, she got rehabbed for her hip, this woman, and then was left lingering with regards to her vision aspect of things. And, and, there is a large um, educational component, as Lee has pointed out, that needs to occur within the elder care system and also, um, you know, to, to families in general. Um, Do you want to say anything? I would like to, yes. So, Kathy, I'm assuming by they, you mean the commission? In New York, who they? Who, I'm, I'm wondering who they is that would not provide these services there. And I think I heard you say Albany. There is an organization, a community-based rehab organization in Albany that may be able to help, even though uh, it's true that RSA um, has dramatically cut back on on how much services is available to non-vocational. Clients, there is older blind money, and most of the organizations who are members of Vision Serve provide services to rehab, vision rehabilitation services to older adults. Um, they fundraise for a lot of it. Uh, most of them don't charge anything. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd encourage to look elsewhere for other other agencies. Plus, now we've opened Pandora's box with remote services. So as an example, I know that Lighthouse Guild 
in New York City serves more, you know, beyond New York City now because they're providing telehealth and tele-training remote services. Um, so there, there may be something through other organizations, not just in Albany. And then lastly, for yourself, I strongly encourage you to look into the services that Hadley's offering because they have kicked up their training services, which are all digital, way up. And I'm super excited about their new platform. And I'll bet you you could get all the smartphone training and everything you need for free right, right, right through Hadley. Okay, great comments. Do we have other hands? Yes, we do. So, Larry? Well, first of all, I want to thank Lee very much and, and, uh, and, and the Aging and Vision Loss Committee for addressing what I consider to be one of the greatest crises that we face right now. Because, as I'm sure your statistics have told you, in the next 15 years, we're going to have about a 60% increase in the population of visually impaired seniors. And <clears throat> there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of concern or, or focus governmentally toward this. So I have three quick points I want to make, and maybe you can respond to them. First of all, I'm really, really disappointed and uh, outraged by the lack of involvement by the Centers for Independent Living across the country in addressing the needs of seniors with vision impairment, vision loss. And um, there are some historical reasons for that, but uh, they are mandated to provide services to older blind persons and older blind persons need to be demanding that kind of assistance from the Centers for Independent Living. Second point I want to make is <clears throat> I know that there are significant uh, reductions in funding available uh, through the state agencies. Uh, so one of my strong recommendations has been we need to get outside of the blindness community to look for partners and collaborators from within the other public and private sector associations and organizations you need to get involved for example the uh, health insurance carriers they have a vested interest in this and they have some resources that could be brought to bear we need to also put more emphasis on the city and county and their senior center program that in many instances are inaccessible or have been at least uh, neglected with regard to serving the needs of visually impaired seniors. Organizations of um, physicians and nursing associations, they need to receive a greater degree of awareness and understanding and, and training. And finally, speaking of training, there are a lot of organizations and agencies out there that provide services, in-home services to seniors who, in many instances, hire folks who have no earthly idea how to be helpful to somebody who is not only a senior but also blind. And I realize that many of these homemaker help, help uh, support people are low, uh, low income and therefore the demands on their qualifications are are pretty minimal 
But at the very least, there could be and should be a requirement that they be sensitized to some of the basic needs of a person who is losing their vision of how to uh, orient them to where things are being placed, to be aware of uh, lighting, to be aware of obstacles that may be left in their pathway, just a, maybe a, a video series that would be produced and made requirement for all home health care workers. I could go on, but thank you so much. So, Larry, is that is that the inimitable Larry Johnson from Texas, the architect of the first, as far as I know, uh, aging and vision loss task force? Is that you who is speaking? Yes, that's me. Okay, I thought so. Just wanted to acknowledge that Larry does an incredible job for our community. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Lee for her comments. You're singing our song, Larry. How come I don't know you? We need to talk. Yeah, we've been working uh, very strenuously with the uh, state uh, legislature here in Texas. That's and awesome. uh, we've been gaining a little bit of momentum, but it is an uphill battle because, again, unfortunately, the voice of seniors with low vision is a very small and quiet voice. Yeah. Many, many seniors are embarrassed, if not uh, mm -hmm. resentful, of even having to admit that they need additional help. So yeah, I, I want to mention with you, and I, I'd like to really seriously, Larry, Jeff, if you could introduce us. I'd like to keep in touch with you, Larry, and you can be our arm in Texas as we move forward. I'd be happy to. You couldn't have a better arm, I'll tell you that. I, I just want to mention something that, um, you know, sometimes we think this problem is just too much and too daunting for me to, to undertake any actions. And so I want to uh, talk f for 30 seconds about what my wife Leslie and I have done in Sacramento. We've been approached by some and reached out to others, home health care agencies, and we've provided training Mm -hmm. on dealing with blind clients to these type of agencies that Larry was talking about. And I urge all of you who have the same expertise that we do, because you've lived it, to reach out to these agencies in your area and arrange. They have to get continuing training anyway. So arrange to provide it to them. All right. So Sharon, you should be allowed to talk. Back to the uh, first speaker, I think, talking about how to educate. My experience in 2010, Dr. told me in 07 I had uh, oncoming AMD, and I thought, oh, big deal, when I'm 85, 90, it'll affect me. Well, it hit me at age 67-ish. Uh, and uh, he just looked at me when I went in and said, oh, my God, something's wrong. I can't see very good. He said, there's nothing more I can do for you and just put me out of his office and I'm like that's what an eye doctor does for his patients who are losing their vision he should have been in my opinion he should have armed me with resources when I left his office and he did not Absolutely. I not agree with you more and so for educating the vision specialists, so-called might be very helpful based on my experience with one eye doctor yeah, yeah doctors. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, you go, you go. Doctors don't seem to understand the absolutely uh, vital need for social services. Frequently, social services like 
the specialized types of services that agencies provide, whether it's iPhone training or you know, learning how to cook again or whatever, peer support. They don't understand that these services are often far more important than the medical services they provide in terms of independent living, and we do need to educate them. All right, our next hand is telephone number 4543. This is Penny uh, from Birmingham. I wanted to make a couple of comments about, um, I used to live in Texas and I worked in an independent living center. And I understand um, Mr. Johnson's disappointment about them not reaching out to um, elderly clients as well. I think it's a lot of it's because their emphasis has been so much on people with physical disabilities and people that are in wheelchairs that sometimes the vision loss, even for other age, uh, other blind people gets lost in that shuffle. Um, but what I wanted to ask, um, I, I guess I feel kind of guilty asking this question, and I don't, I'm not sure how I'm going to phrase it, but I'm 60, almost 67, and I will be in a couple months, and I've always been blind. I was premature. I'm in that generation of blind people that um, we've lived with it our lives, but now as we come to our senior years, I'm wondering how this is going to affect services for us and the senior population, because there are a lot of us, and sometimes we still need help with things like mobility, moving to a new place, or, you know, you might need to get rusty on some skills. Or And I just wondered, is the alliance, is your alliance, you know, I noticed earlier the definition was people who've lost their sight later in life, but what about those of us who've always had it? And of course, we can also be helpful, but how do you think that's going to affect the trajectory of people being served in the population, and I, I guess that's what I'm trying to ask. Okay, any of our panelists want to? I will. So, yeah. Um, is your name Penny? Yes. Yes, hi, Penny. Um, uh, yeah, we talk about that a little bit more than people who have lived with um, blindness all their lives, only because there is a big learning curve for for seniors who lose their vision later in life, they're yeah, less accepting of it and they understand less. But we totally understand and, and agree and, and value uh, or appreciate that you that people who have lived with vision loss all their lives and now are seniors still need services too. So we're we're not we're not forgetting about that and we probably need to find some better language. In, in our statements to make sure people know that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of people who either have been living with blindness for a long time or are losing it later in life, all need services. And most of the standard services for this age group are not appropriate, unfortunately. But then we can also, I could also see how those of us who've lived with blindness can mentor people who Absolutely. have blind. Oh, and I think absolutely. it seems like to me there could be some kind of arrangement where services we need we could still have, but yet we can also, we have a lot to give to that population. Oh my gosh, absolutely, yes. And not only that, but I would only add that many people, um, you know, and I'm the same age as you, Penny, a few months older. I think we established that on another call. Um, 
a lot of us, because we have worked, don't necessarily have the money to pay for the services because a lot of the agencies, you know, aren't providing free services for persons who have incomes. And that's where, if those services were funded under Medicare, we would be able to take advantage of them. That's right. All right, phone number 6821. Okay, this is Margie Donovan from California. And I want to say that we really should look at the Department of Veterans Affairs model for blind rehab. If we could set something like that up under Medicare, now it's not perfect, nothing's perfect, but it really works well. So just to briefly summarize, you know, we outreach um, in the community with doctor's offices within the VA to identify veterans losing their sight. The first thing you do is hook them in if they have any remaining vision by showing them something. I had this in my office, a video magnifier. And they are amazed. Nobody's ever told them that there's low vision aid that they can use to enhance their vision. Um, one of the crises we find, and I dealt with this with the um, veterans' homes, was people get put into um, assisted care because they can't manage the medication. And once they're in assisted care, they don't get the services they need. So what we must do is catch them before they go into assisted care. Um, the other thing I want to say is ophthalmologists and optometrists are in the field to save people's sight. I worked with the ophthalmologist for many years who was part of my team in the VA. He had a client that he was so worried about her sight, he totally neglected to remember something as simple as a video magnifier. We talked, he sent her to me, and she was as happy as could be. And so I think we, we should look at that model for trying to get Medicare to, to fund. I think we need to look at how to reach out to doctors, go give, and generally it's ophthalmologists at, at this point when they're losing their sight, put together packets and give it to them. I know in California, we've had people who've done that with their own ophthalmologist. I had an OT that always referred to me from UCSF, always. And I just think we need to, it, it's a multi-pronged approach. And in, instead of blaming doctors, Let's get them on our team, number one, let them see the value. All they need is one patient to come back and tell their story to that ophthalmologist. And look at the Veterans Affairs model for blind rehab, um, which is separate than both rehab, very separate, separate system entirely. And um, <clears throat> let's outreach to our seniors through the senior centers, through seniors without walls, through going and being a guest speaker, however we need to. And when we do that, focus on the residual vision, not blindness. When we say the word blind, they walk the other way because they have residual vision and they don't think they're going to go blind and they don't want to go blind. So low vision aids really bring them to the table. You get their attention. Thank you. Okay. Excellent comment, Marjorie. Thank you. Regina, I am just wanting to ask, well, there's two situations I wanted to talk about. The first one is more personal to me. The second one is more about seeing. So I have found that when I was younger, I mostly used the bus and light rail system independently. I did a lot of that. 
And I went wherever I wanted to go and I walked everywhere and I didn't use paratransit actually. And now that I have a secondary uh, issue with arthritis and walking, I've used paratransit, especially for long trips where, you know, it's going to be a lot of walking because I, I'm afraid I'll walk so far and then won't be able to walk home <laughs> when we return. So I found that now taking paratransit, it's challenging for me being touched because the one thing that happens when you take public transit, you know, pretty much people, if you ask for assistance, they don't grab you suddenly. It happens sometimes and you can say, oh, it's okay. You know, I can, I can, can you just talk to me or whatever? But the paratransit drivers, at least here, are very stuck on they have to grab you and they have to help you or you're going to fall. And no matter how much I try to explain to them that I'm using my cane and pretty capable and stuff, and it, there's no even permission given. There's no, like, can I assist you or, or how would you like me to assist you or anything like that. They just, you know... And, and it's for me, it's uncomfortable. Maybe other people don't find it uncomfortable, but because of my life situations, it is uncomfortable. And I don't know how to quite address that because I, I know there's safety issues involved and I think that that's part of it. That's my first question. The second one is what I was a caregiver for my mom and her senior center gave training in computers smartphones they even had mental health counseling but i don't see that being made available to people with low vision or who have lost their sight completely and that seems to me a way to address the fact that seniors who are sighted are getting these services and we are not and i think that's something that we've done successfully in the workplace and we could take that same advocacy model to to address that issue okay <laughs> thank you okay uh, any any comments from panelists i will agree with you on the second one that the home and community-based system that is in generally in being funded in this country doesn't address the needs of our population senior centers by and large with some exceptions do a very poor job providing the services that um, seniors of vision loss and anyone with vision loss need. All right. Lisa Irving. Hi, Jeff. Hello. I, I first off, I'm very interested in getting involved. I have a background in gerontology and my LinkedIn profile is available on LinkedIn. Um, I guess I wanted to comment on a, a number of things. One, I'm a graduate student at Western Michigan University studying vision rehabilitation therapy. And um, in my graduate program, I have one class in gerontology. So I'm really glad that I actually have a background in gerontology. But for other students coming into this program, there's just one class in gerontology. And I find that disconcerting considering that the fastest growing population in the United States is the senior population who experiences the highest um, number of vision loss. Um, also, I was thinking to what the woman was saying about getting 
technology into the hands of seniors. I worked in mental health not too long ago, and I had referred folks to a couple of blind individuals to NAMI because they had a cafe program where persons could get technology and get te technology training. And I was not too surprised when these individuals reported to me that they were excluded from the program because it did not include blind and visually impaired individuals. Um, I don't know where the funding for NAMI's cafe, what they called their cafe program, came from. I do know that something like that is desperately needed in the blind and visually impaired community, especially for our seniors. And also thinking ahead um, to my work in the field of blindness and low vision, and probably with seniors, I guess I'm kind of concerned about <laughs> having a salary. If there's very little funding, I'm wondering, I know the need is great, but I'm wondering about, um, I'm wondering about the realistic availability of work. I have high expectations. I'm blind. I have high expectations for myself, and I want to be a good role model. And I don't want to go out and do piecemeal work and provide minimal training and low expectations. So it's sort of a statement and sort of a question, and I'd like for someone to speak to job trends and realistic funding and what I might be able to look forward to and also how I can help with the movement for aging and vision loss. Thank you. Lee? This is, this yeah. is Doug. This is up your area. So Go ahead. Or Lee, go ahead. Uh, sure. So, Lisa, I'll definitely connect with you on LinkedIn. Um, we need you in this field. There are so many opportunities for certified vision rehabilitation professionals. As long as you are willing to travel a little bit, I don't know where you want to leave, but all major metropolitan areas and many rural areas are desperate for professionals. You will have a job. You will have a salary. As a system, we're underfunded, but we're also underpersonneled. So we need you. Please stay in there. And VisionServe Alliance offers scholarships to grad students. Now, the, the little hook is that you have to work for an organization or be connected to one of our membership or member organizations, but we, we want you to stay there. Um, we're going to need many more of you, um, not fewer, so, so hang in there. Doug, did you? Yeah, we, um, it, it's just speak, there are a couple things that come up that, that, that um, we speak to in the document that, that, that we've prepared. One is that I'm wondering if we should have a specialization on older blind professionals. Um, obviously, the learning curve for and the, the um, devices that um, older people would feel more comfortable with are different than uh, adults and, and also different for children. So obviously, the TVIs are, are for children. And um, certified professionals are, are for the sort of, quote, young adults. <laughs> um, but we also probably should be asking for a specialization in gerontological um, uh, rehab teachers. Agree. And, um, you know, so I, I think that that needs to be addressed. The um, 
credentials, uh, Lori hasn't chimed in yet, so I'm going to steal her thunder a little bit. She usually talks about New York, where it's hard for credentialed um, rehabilitation professionals to get into nursing homes because they don't have the right credentials by law, by state law. So, per, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we need to upgrade the credentials of everybody working in the field so that they get paid more, they'll stick around more, um, we'll get the best people in the right positions, and the rehabilitation services will become, you know, we'll have a better chance of success. Laura, you want to add anything? Sure, if I could just add to that. Um, you sure. quoted me exactly correct, Doug. I guess you've heard it over and over many times. Um, yes, if I could just add to that, that um, there is a real problem in New York, for, for example, and in other states where they are not uh, blindness rehabilitation. Teachers are not allowed to go into nursing homes um, for a host of reasons for state laws and, and they're not a licensed profession. In addition to that, um, you know, the there are states and Lee could probably tell us where because I don't remember. Um, <laughs> there is a state that I'm thinking of. Um, I can even tell you where I saw the presentation. It was at an AFB conference where they have a VRT who oversees occupational therapists who provide the direct service. Um, so, you know, there are different service models that have to be looked at, I think. And programs like Hunter College have a program which provides OTs with additional credentialing to work with people who are blind or visually impaired. And at Hunter, we actually have two college, two college, two colleges, two classes, I can't talk, um, in working with seniors. Okay. Any other hands? Yes. Renee. Hi, everybody. Um, Renee Erickson Johnson. I wanted to, the first person, I think her name was Kathy, that talk, talked about uh, lacking services for people who are, you know, losing vision, things that she talked about. I'm in that situation, but I do have to make a comment that, you know, you mentioned the learning curve. I don't know what you're calling a senior. I'm 61. I've known I've been losing my sight since I was 13 because I have RP. And I've been lucky that it stayed as long as it has, but it's going downhill pretty fast right now. And I retired three years ago. I'm just looking for basic things. And I'm a computer person. I've been using a computer since I was, since punch cards. So, um, I'm not a slow learner, I, you know, but I have found that that lack there for basic things. I want to be able to continue to do my banking online. I want to be able to manage my medical bills in a way that makes sense. And these basic services that involve technology are not complete. I have used Hadley. I have used other online classes through different organizations wherever I could find them and I've learned some things that I'm trying to learn on my own but you know a crash course for someone like me would be optimal you know I you know I learned AutoCAD in a week I can learn how to do MBDA in a week <laughs> but um, some of those basic things I wanted to emphasize that because you said you know we're looking for what really is important for someone like me that is definitely very important and um, one other comment I wanted to make was about um, Medicare and what it covers and what it doesn't cover. You know, I've bounced around since I've been on it to try to get it correct. 
uh, to suit me. And then they say, oh, there's these options that can help you with things like your guide dog. But the things they want to pay for are stupid. Like they'll pay for the harness. Well, my guide dog school gave me the harness. I need to pay for the vet bills and the food and all that <laughs> and all that kind of things. You know, and, and, and if we could give Medicare to give us a flexible account that you could spend on your needs, I think that would be something that would be great. You know, and that idea might have been tossed around by some politicians, something similar to that for certain types of equipment to give you some tax breaks or things like that. Um, and then one other thing that just popped in my head while other people were talking was, you know, people talked about that some people who have been blind for years could be helpful to people who um, are newly blind. You know, you know, it's like an idea of, you know, a match people up, you know, match for people who have certain skills. I want to be able to do this, 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 this. I have this skill, this skill, this skill. I'm looking for somebody who can teach me this, this, this. It would be really nice if you could match people when we do this virtually, you know, to help each other. Now, a lot of things is popping in my head here. And, uh, oh, and Lee, I did try to connect with you on um, LinkedIn, so I really appreciate the connection there. I do am involved in the advocacy for stuff um, for people who are blind. Oh, and one more thing, why I need this, I was making a donation to the Foundation Fighting Blindness and my vision loss is such that I started dropping letters and instead of giving them $50, I gave them $500. Thank goodness it wasn't $5,000. <laughs> <laughs> Great comments, Renee. So I'm going to respond to just one small part of all the things you had to say. Um, it's kind of interesting that you mention all of the things that Medicare doesn't cover and the, and the need for flexibility. Some states, um, Minnesota, uh, Washington, to name a couple, have been looking at sort of a universal senior benefit and i think you're going to have uh, a lot less ability for states to adopt these things because of covid 19 funding has just become you know far less available now for a few years but states are beginning to look at this sort of thing that would have the type of flexibility that you're talking about conceivably so it, it is an idea that is out there uh, and I'll turn it over to, to Lee and others for comments about some of the other things that you mentioned. Well, I, once again, I, I couldn't agree more. And these are exactly the things we're, we're trying to work on. Um, I guess one thing that we've all learned is that if it's logical and makes sense, it's not happening. <laughs> but we, we, we don't want to give up. So I applaud you. I'll definitely reach back out to you on LinkedIn and appreciate what you're doing. And I actually need to sign off now, Jeff. I have another meeting. I, I thought we were we would be finished in an hour. So I have really enjoyed this. And please feel free to reach out to me. Anybody who still wants to chat or learn more about the coalition, you can get that information from Jeff or reach me through Vision Serve Alliance. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We did go over time. So we're gonna get the ending codes for this section from Katie. Yes, so I actually have that we're supposed to go until 2, uh, 2.45. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is right. So, so let's take... Shall we so carry on? <laughs> yeah, let's take some more comments. All right. So, Donna, once I hit this button, you should find an unmute button on your device to hit. Yes. Um, so I work for a um, company that serves seniors. Um 
in my job, I run into seniors all the time who are telling me, oh, I can't read this, I can't read this, you know, uh, when they're doing their reservations with me. And um, how can I, 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 I've been trying to get my um, company to understand, you know, that this problem's out there. How can I get them to let me help them or to give because they want to send, you know, they'll, they'll basically send people to other agencies like AFB or something like that. And I mean, I'm there to help them. Um, how can, what would be the best way for me to let them know I can help them or help them to see that they should open up a way to help people who are having issues like this? Because we serve people in so many other ways. You know, we do Meals on Wheels. We do... Um, a program where the seniors get uh, calls every week to make sure they're okay and have somebody visit them. Um, we they get groceries delivered to them uh, through one of our programs, and then of course there's programs where they go once a month and do different activities through my organization. I, I just want to be able to see if my organization can fit something to help the visually impaired community into their agenda so that we can you know help more and more people i would like to know how i could go about this what would be the best way also um i have spoken with my um eye doctor and he's de he definitely wants ways to be able to help people know other um resources what would be the best way i can gather those resources and um the other the last thing some of the seniors I know about in my job, and I've heard it said many times by them, they, you know, would like to get the help, but some of them are reluctant to admit they have a problem, or um, they're embarrassed to say so, um, or they just sometimes are not aware uh, that things are out there to help them. How okay, can we, can we how, have a comment? Oh, sorry. Yeah. How can we help these people speak out? Give them the, the strength and the courage to speak out. Okay, Lori, do you want to comment on that? Oh, sure. I'll take that one, Jeff. Um, so I think we need to be careful um, as to what um, kinds of services are provided. Having completed only my first year of my VRT program, uh, I'm in my 40s and this is a second degree for me. My first is in social work. Um, and But I've worked you know, with all different types of people, I think we need to be careful as to what, you know, kinds of services we're offering up to people, um, because there are credentialed professionals out there to uh, provide services for people in different types of situations. So you may want to have a discussion with your employer about what the needs of these clients are and how, what services would be available in your state to connect those people to. Um, I think it's kind of hard to comment in this forum on something like that because each state operates so differently. Okay, so Katie, I think we actually have gone over. We can be a little flexible though with time because our second speaker for the first session now needs to uh, be brought up. So, um, and yeah, I have, I have 240 on my, on my device. So it's, yes, it's up to you. The, 
it's it's really 45 minutes for the first speaker and we went way over say with the second okay. speaker on this one so so right. we need the ending codes for um for lee's time all right yes so the ending code the ending ceu code for those to whom it applies for this first session is five six seven one five Again, that ending code for those who wish to receive CEUs is 56715.